Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. We are starting a new series today called This I Know. And the, uh, and the inspiration for this series is, is, came from a couple of places. First of all, we uh, are getting ready for Vacation Bible School this week. And uh, part of the understanding for Vacation Bible School this week, part of what we're talking about this week is the things that we know about God and His power. In fact, each day during Vacation Bible School, we're going to learn about something that God has power over. Nature, circumstances, sin, death. We're going to learn what God has power over. And I was thinking about that, and we're going to look today at at particularly uh, God's power over all things. And I got to thinking about those times in our lives when those truths are most important. And they come at times when we have difficulty in life, when we have problems in life, when areas of our life we have conflict or things don't go as we expect. And in those moments, we need some truths to anchor our life on. We need some things to plant our life on, to know for sure. And I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, singing with Maddie. Maddie is our performer. She likes to sing. She likes to sing for people. She likes to, to get up and to do that. And in fact, we have to be careful when the preschoolers are singing. Maddie's not old enough to be in the preschool choir yet, but the one time she was in here and Luke sang, she was mad because Luke was up on stage and she wasn't. And so she likes to sing. And and one of the songs she likes to sing is, Jesus Loves Me. You know, we, we taught her that. It's an easy song. And, and that, that song says this very basic thing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I thought about the power of just those three words, this I know. We live in a world that is increasingly telling us that there is nothing that you can know for sure. We live in a world where corruption reminds us that people often don't tell us the truth, where people aren't often who they say they are, where things are not what they appear to be, and yet we have some things in Scripture that we can say, this I know. This is true. And in those moments of difficulty, in those moments of problems in our lives, we can put our lives and stake them on the promises of God. In fact, one of the things that's amazing about God is that God makes promises to us. He doesn't have to. You realize that, right? God didn't have to promise us anything. We could not have forced Him into promises. But what's amazing about God is He is a promise-making God. And He gives us these things in order that we might be able to say in those difficult moments, this I know. Second Peter chapter 1 has this great introduction, and I love it for a couple of reasons, and I want to read it with you this morning. It's going to be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But there are a couple of things that I love about it. First of all, this is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours. An amazing thing, when he says, this is Peter, who walked with Jesus, was Peter's right-hand man, and basically he says, if you're a believer, you have just as much of Jesus as I do. There's no place of prominence in this kingdom. If you are a believer in Jesus, your relationship with the Lord is the exact same as Peter. That's what he's telling the people. Through the righteousness of our God in Christ Jesus. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He goes on to say this. His divine power. It's an amazing statement here. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you can never claim inadequacy for living life. He's given you everything you need. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And then it tells us this. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. What it tells us there is there are some things that God has given us that are precious and great. In fact, um, I want to emphasize those words. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. They are great because they come from a great God and they concern great things. They are precious because they are ours. That the God of the universe has said some things that we can take a hold of. They are precious because they are something that is spoken from God to us. They address great issues of life. In fact, it doesn't just say that they're great. It says that they're very great. The the word there means exceedingly great, abundantly great, more great than you can imagine. The idea is that they are greater than anything you can imagine that life could throw at you. These very great and precious promises. And this is what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about some of those very great and precious promises, and how that ought to impact how we live. What does it matter that God controls all things? What does it matter that God is completely good? What does it matter that God is watching at all times? What does it matter that God is victorious in all things for our daily lives? And here's what I hope to kind of balance out. We we just got through with the series. Some of you uh, have been here for the series where we talked about being a fan or follower and talked about some real hard kind of things of are you following the Lord or are you just a, an admirer of His? This is what I want you to, to see as we move forward this over these next few weeks. Being a follower of Christ does not mean we do it in our own strength. It just means that we rely on the promises that God has already given us and that we trust Him in those. Isaiah chapter 44 gives us an indication of really today a truth about God that takes the form or becomes a promise when we understand what it means. Isaiah chapter 44, starting in verse 6. This is him talking to the people around him and really trying to say, hey, listen, here are some things that you need to know. This is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and Redeemer, the Lord of hosts says. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. Who like me can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things and what will take place. 
Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? No. There is no other rock. I don't know any. The first thing that we want to look at about God is this understanding that God is the only God. And because God is the only God, there is nobody that limits God in any way. He is completely in control. Now think about this for a minute. We're going to get deep for just a second. If there are multiple gods, there is not a true God. If there are multiple gods limiting one another, there's not a true God. And what Scripture teaches and what most of us would declare is that absolutely God is God. There is no other God. There is one God. He is it. There is no other. Well, the truth of that is, if there is one God, and that is it, that he is in complete control of what's happening, or he's not God at all. The idea behind God and that name and that understanding is that he is a God who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, that is completely free, and he is a God that can do whatever he desires to do. He doesn't owe us an explanation He doesn't owe us a reason. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. He is completely free in who he is. Now, the classical understanding of that, the classical word used for that, is that God is sovereign. That's one of those words that sounds really, you know, biblical and Christian, but nobody uses very much. But there's this definition of what that means that I think is really, um, really good. And it it comes from a guy named A.W. Tozer and what is perhaps my favorite uh, book other than Scripture. And he says, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. It's not up there, but in the book he goes on to say, were there even one tidbit of knowledge... However small, unknown to God, his rule would break down at that point. To be Lord over all creation, he must possess all knowledge. And if there were, if God were lacking in one infinitesimal modicum of power, that lack would end his reign and undo his kingdom. That one stray atom of power would belong to someone else, and God would be limited ruler and hence not sovereign. Furthermore, His sovereignty requires that he be absolutely free. Which means simply that he must be free to do whatever he wills, to do anywhere, at any time, to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Were he less free, he must not be sovereign. Here's the point of all that. Most of us, Don't live our lives like we truly believe God is in complete control. And yet the truth is, unless God is in complete control, He is not God. The Bible describes Him in a variety of ways. It tells us that God is before all things. Before the earth was created, before time began, God is It tells us that He created all things. It tells us that He upholds 
all things. It tells us that he is above all things, that he knows all things, that he can do all things, that he can accomplish all things, that he rules over all things, that he is in control of all things. There is nothing that catches God by surprise. Nothing. Last night we were, I was putting the boys to bed and we were doing a a quick little discussion, devotion. and I've been studying because I'm helping out in a couple of classes, teaching some Bible studies this week uh, during vacation Bible school. And I I was looking over some of that material, so I want to kind of begin to prepare them for what they were going to talk about. And so we started talking about God being in control of all things. And um, as you can imagine with um, Eli and Luke, um, keeping the discussion on the right track sometimes is not easy. And we're trying to talk about a deep subject like the sovereignty of God. And so Luke put out a couple of things that weren't quite right on the area we were going. And then he just came out with, Dad, what you're saying is that God's everybody's boss. I said, yeah, Luke, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right. And then he just kind of got this little smirk, the Luke smirk. And he said, Dad, that means God is your boss. And I said, yeah, he is. See, we have these discussions. I don't know, any of you all have multiple children in your house? You have discussions about who's boss at times. And sometimes children like to be each other's boss, and we have to have discussions about that. And ultimately in our house, Mommy and Daddy are boss. But what we realize is we're really not. The Lord is in control of all things. Now, I said earlier that most of us don't, always live our lives that way and the way you can tell that is because we don't live our lives trusting the Lord in all things I mean the truth is if this promise is true if God is in complete control of all things if God is in complete control of the universe if God's in complete control of history If God's in complete control of nations, of people, of humanity, of sin, of death, if God's in complete control, then we ought to live our lives completely trusting Him. Right? You just kind of trust and go. But most of us don't live our lives that way. In fact... um, If this is true about God, there's no other way to live. People, sometimes I ask people, what's your life verse? Or people will tell me, you know what my life verse is? And you know what one of the most popular life verses is? Anybody want to guess? Some of you may. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Here's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, some of you aren't going to recognize this because you memorized it as a child and you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your straight path straight, right? This is the, the, a little bit updated version, but it says that Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to not rely on our own understanding, to think about Him in all our ways, and He will guide our paths. Let me ask you a question. When you get in a difficult situation, do you trust in the Lord, or do you lean on your own understanding? Do you trust that God is going to work things out? And that doesn't mean that we give up and we don't do things, but we trust in His ways. We don't get worried or fretful about it. 
that when difficulties come in our lives, we don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't go to God as a last resort. We don't get the whole thing figured out and then say, God, bless what I have decided to do. Hey, God, I don't know what I'm going to do about my job. So I went out and interviewed with 14 different places, and I picked the job I really like and makes the most money. God, would you bless what I'm about to do? Man, I don't know what's going on in our, my relationship. And my spouse and I aren't getting along real well. And so I've written down all the things that I have trouble with, and then, God, can you let me know that I'm right about this? Man, my finances are man, they're terrible. And I've got... I figured out how to move the money from here to there and invest in this and take this away and to get rid of this. And now, now, God, would you help me to know how to do this? What's your first instinct? You're having trouble in school or you're having trouble at home or you're having trouble in relationships or you're having trouble in finances or business. Do you act like God's in complete control? Or do you lean and rely on your own understanding? You know the easiest way to determine the areas of your life where you are not trusting in the complete control of God? The easiest way to determine that is to ask yourself the question, what are you worried about? What worries you? Is it your job? Is it the decisions your kids are making? Is it the future of your kids ten years from now? Is it what's going on at school? Is it what's happening next week? Is it what's happening next year? Is it your future in general? Is it a relationship you're currently in? What do you worry about? What do you fret about? You know what Jesus said about worry, right? He said, don't do it. He says, who has ever added a day to their life through worry? Trust. In the Lord with all your heart. If we believe that God is in complete control of the entire universe, why do we think He can't take care of our issues? If we believe that this universe is sustained through the power and might of God Almighty, why are we convinced that we can figure out our life better than He can? If we believe that in His infinite, all-knowing wisdom, God has set in motion a plan to bring about His glory and honor and that people will be drawn unto Him. Why do we think we need to try to figure it out apart from Him? You see, if God is in complete control, we must choose to trust Him completely. This is where it's real easy to answer that question of absolutely, I believe God's in control. When you're just being asked in a church service where you know everybody's supposed to give the right answer. But it's difficult when life smacks you in the face. And suddenly that job that you thought was your career for the next 30 years is taken away from you in a week. And those kids that were angels growing up have turned their backs on making proper decisions. And that friend that you had for years that was closer than you thought than a brother or a sister suddenly starts to do things that hurt you deeply. It's easy to say, I believe God's in control. Amen, brother, preach it, come on. But when life hits you, 
Are you going to live like it? Are you going to trust Him? Even in the most difficult circumstances. Around Easter, we talk a lot about Jesus and His journey to the cross. The most remarkable part of that journey to me is when He's in the garden and He's praying and He basically says to the Lord, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? But, then he says, not my will, but yours. The idea that Jesus shows and demonstrates for us there is, even in the most difficult of circumstances, we must trust in the complete control of God. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about why we can trust in the complete control of God, even when it doesn't seem like it's moving in that direction because of other things God has shown. But my question to you today is this. What areas of your life are you not trusting Him? What areas of your life have you refused to give up control? What areas of your life are you worried about? What areas of your life are you leaning on your own understanding and not on God? 